Meanwhile... <laughs> Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations proudly presents... Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! Our first installment this week... The Veered Circle... Delivering Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. The Weird Circle. In this cave by the restless sea, we are met to call from out of the past stories, strange and weird. Bellkeeper, toll the bell so that all may know we are gathered again in the Weird Circle. are here. Now, smaller in size and ten times sweeter, to keep with the changes in modern community standards. Acme brand Halloween candy, in association with Acme certified dentists. Now, we return you to the Weird Circle, here on Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! <laughs> o'clock. Eight o'clock in the evening. House is quiet. Deathly quiet. My uncle and I have just finished our meager repast in the dining room. Listen. Yes, that's my uncle walking up and down overhead, pacing the floor. He senses it too, my nervousness. Every night after dinner, he leaves the dining room and goes upstairs to the second floor where he paces up and down. And suddenly, his heart begins to beat louder and louder. You can't hear it, but I can. My nervousness has sharpened my senses. Yes, I can hear things no one else can hear. Confound my senses. The footsteps, they've stopped. Now he'll walk down the circular stairway and join me here in the parlor. 
And I'll have to look at him. Watch him. That eye. I, I've nothing against him. But his eye. That huge, distorted eye. If the eye offends thee, pluck it out. Pluck it out. Tortures me at night. I lie in bed and shut my eyes. But that horrible thing peers at me, embedded in my senses. That eye glistens and shimmers. It haunts me. Kill. Yeah. Kill. I have nothing against him. My uncle. My only relative. The eye. Pluck out the eye. The eye. The eye. He's coming, yes, now down the stairs. Sniffing as he blinks. The swollen lid covers that eye. Uncle. Is that you? Is it me? Of course it is. Who else would it be, Charles? I... I don't know. Ah, now for a nice hour of relaxation. Will you join me in a cigar, Charles? Here, take this one of mine. Thank you, Uncle. Sit down here. I'd prefer sitting back here, Uncle. Oh, nonsense. I can't see you over there, and you can't see me. Come. Come sit over here. I'd much prefer to stay here. Do you dislike my company after all these years, Charles? No, Uncle. All right, I'll join you. But... Why are you staring at me like that? The eye. Look at the eye. Staring at you. Red and swollen hideous. A pale blue film covers it. Kill. Charles? Yes, Uncle? Come, light up your cigar. Here's a light. Now, that's better, my boy. These cigars have rich, fragrant aroma. A very rich, fragrant aroma. It lulls a man's nerves into a peaceful state. And leaves the mind free for contemplation, doesn't it? Kill. Yes, Uncle. Kill. Nothing like the hours spent meditatively. Oh, blasted visitors. You answer the bell, Charles. Yes, Uncle. I dislike being interrupted like this. It's bad for my digestion. People should know that. Good evening, Mr. Holscomb. Well, good evening, Charles. I hope you and your uncle don't mind a nice neighborly visit. I'm sure we don't, Mr. Holscomb. I'm glad. I was all alone this evening and felt the need of a nice, friendly chat, so I dropped over. Uh, good evening, Mr. Woodward. Good evening, Mr. Holscomb. How are you this evening? Feeling surprisingly fit. Man of my age has no right feeling so healthy. Bad for the doctor's income, but I feel like a man of 20. Just as fit physically and mentally as Charles here. Thank you, Mr. Holzer. Uh, you, uh, uh, well, won't you join us for a little while, Mr. Holzer? I'd love to, yes, indeed. I'd enjoy it. Can't be for long. I, I'm retiring early, but a short visit would be appreciated. Thank you, Mr. Woodward. Uh, mind if I light up my pipe? No, not at all, Mr. Holzer. Uh, Charles, get him an ashtray before he scatters the ashes all over the carpet. You know? Yes, Uncle. Here you are, Mr. Holster. Thank you, Charles. Well, 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 what's this? Well, as any idiot can plainly see, it's a knife. Yes, a knife, Mr. Woodward. 
It's a strange-looking knife. Yeah, it belonged to our ancestors. Hmm. Charles, what's it doing down here off the hook on the wall? I, uh, I took it down from the wall to clean it, Uncle. Clean it? Well, old knives are supposed to look old. Clean it. Clean it? Uh, I'll put it back. Uh, be careful, Charles, my boy. I knew a young man exactly your age who took a family heirloom down from the wall one night and, and well, blasted if it didn't slip and cut off his right arm. <laughs> yes, took the arm clean off right to the elbow. He, he was a mechanic by profession and it, well, it, it ruined his career. Be careful, be careful, Charles, in putting the knife back. You'd better stand on a chair, Charles. It's it's much wiser to take an ounce of prevention. Yes, your uncle's right. How's that, Uncle? Well, it's 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 not hanging straight. I like things to hang straight. It annoys me to have something crooked on the wall. Yes, it means a death in the family. <laughs> One of the pictures in my house was crooked on the wall the night of my wife's death. Now, I'm not a superstitious man, mind you, but I... There, yeah, that does it, Charles. All right. Now, put the chair back where you got it. I'm not a superstitious man, mind you, but I was confounded when she died. Confounded, I tell you. Yes, I imagine that you were confounded. Uh, of course, that coincidence really doesn't compare with an event which occurred to a friend of mine. His name was... Um, mm, very common name. What was it? Uh, Smith. Peter Smith. Now, what about Peter Smith? He had a picture on the wall in his home. Well, this picture sidled over on its wire, refusing to stay upright. The picture refused? I swear it's true, Mr. Woodward. Well, I was there, if you don't believe me. Do you know what happened? No, I do not know what happened. Peter Smith died that very night. All right. What time is it, Charles? Almost nine o'clock, Uncle. Three more hours. Three more hours. If thine eye offends thee, pluck it out. It's nine o'clock. It's almost my bedtime, Mr. Holskin. Oh, don't mind me, Mr. Woodward. I was about to leave anyway. <laughs> I see. Look at the knife hanging on the wall. It slipped sideways again. So it has. Anxious? Anxious, Charles. The knife is anxious. It reminds me of Peter Smith's picture. Hmm. Well, I, I must be on my way. Uh, don't bother to see me to the door, Charles. I'll find my way out. Uh, good evening, Mr. Woodward. Uh, good evening, Mr. Holscombe. Come, confounded. That, that man makes me nervous, Charles, with his stupid stories of Smith. Uh, fix that knife, Charles. Of course, Uncle. I, I'll fix it right away. I'm tired. I'll go on up to bed now. I'll help you up the stairs, Uncle. Help me? <laughs> Since when do I need help? Well, maybe I do, Dad. Anything else you want of me besides opening this window, Uncle? No, nothing, Charles. I'd better take this chair out of your way. Oh, the chair isn't in my way. In case you should awake during the night and want to get out of bed. You don't want to stumble over chairs on your way to the door. Well, I, I never awake during the night, Charles. But you might. Or we might. Yes, we might. We might creep in here. I might, yes, I might. Oh, I might do anything, my boy. I also might not. Now, take the candle with you before you leave, Charles. Of course, Uncle. I hadn't intended to leave it burning. Of course. We'll take it with us. Of course, of course. 
Good night. Good night. 9.30. 9.30. I must be clever. I must think everything out very carefully. Yes, carefully. Must wait till midnight. Yes, till midnight. Why must I wait till midnight? Why? That's the plan. The clever plan. Clever, clever. Walk down the stairs and wait in the parlor. The room will be dark. And I'll wait. I'll wait. He'll be asleep by midnight. Clever, clever. Then at midnight, I'll creep up the stairs with a knife. And if the eye offends me, pluck it out. It must have meant me. Of course, it's all so clear. Clear, clear and clever. First thing to do is get the knife. Go into the parlor. Stand on the chair and get the knife. Be careful, Charles. Careful, careful, careful with the chair. You pull up the chair and stand on it, but be careful. I'm always careful. Now I've the knife. What do I do next? What is the plan? Sit and wait. Sit and wait. <laughs> the doorbell. Who could it be at this hour? This isn't part of my plan. No, not part of my plan. Get rid of them, whoever they are. Get rid of them. Oh, Mr. Holscombe. Sorry to disturb you, Charles, but I left my pipe here. I looked all over my house for the blasted thing before I remembered I'd left it here. Well, it, it must be in the parlor. Don't bother yourself. I'll get it. It's no bother. Why, you're trembling, Charlie. Did I frighten you when I rang the bell? Well, I... I wasn't expecting you. No, not expecting you. Expecting you. I read of a man in the paper who died of fright when his doorbell rang. It was just the other day I read it. Very amusing article, too. It was... Oh, here's the pipe. Imagine my leaving it behind. Yes, imagine it. Thanks again, Charlie. What's this knife doing down here again? Uh, it slipped. Slipped again, did it? Well, well, well. Just like the picture at Peter Smith's. If let me know if anything happened. Of course. Of course. Of course. Good night, Charles. Good night, Mr. Holscombe. Now, the plan. The plan to wait. Wait. Wait for midnight. For midnight. Yes, for midnight. for the knife to be in my hand. Charles, your palms are moist. Maybe the knife will slip, Charles. It's almost midnight. Yes, Charles. Fifteen seconds. Maybe the knife will slip, Charles. It can. 
pant slip. It belongs in my hand. Where is the lantern, Charles? You've got to see, you know. I have it. It's ready. Listen, Charles. Listen. Midnight. Twelve midnight. The time has come. Yes, the time has come. Now for the lantern. Light it. Light it. Shut the door of the lantern. No light can escape. None. None. The lantern in one hand. The knife in the other. The knife. The knife. Listen. The house is so quiet. Yes, deathly quiet. I must walk quietly. Listen. Listen. My senses sharpen. Every second makes them sharper. I can hear the rhythmic beating of the old man's heart. The beating of his heart. Beating out his last breath. His last breath. His last breath. Do you know... Death is outside your door, Uncle. Death is waiting, Uncle, waiting. The door of your room opens gently, Uncle. Very gently, Uncle. Careful, the plant. Careful, careful. Listen. Listen. The heart. The beating of the old man's heart. Who's there? Stand still, Charles. Stand still and wait. Just wait. Wait until his gleaming eye is focused on your face. Who's in my room? Who is it? Where's my candle? Don't answer, Charles. Don't answer. Just wait. Wait. Charles! Charles! He's calling for you. Little does he know. Charles! Calling for you. Calling for you. Oh, Oh, someone's in my room. I can see the shadow across my bed. Who, who is it? Let him guess and worry. 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 The room is hot. Hot in heaven's name. Answer me. Don't move a muscle. Just stand still and wait. 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 Oh, what is it? Who is it? Where is Charles? <laughs> Listen to his heart. His heart. Listen to his heart. Now it's panic. Later, it will be the forewarning of death. Oh, somebody help me. Now raise the lantern. Slowly, Charles. That's it. That's it. Focus it where the eyes should be. Then slowly open the door of the lantern and let the light shine in that eye. Oh! If the eye offends thee, pluck the it out. Eye. The eye. No, no, not the knife, not the knife. Listen to the heart beat its last beat. He's dead. He's dead. And I'm free of that horror. Free of the eye, of the scorpion eye. The horrible scorpion eye. Clever, clever, Charles. 
burying the body where no one will ever suspect it to be. Clever, clever. Yes, I am clever. Underneath the floor of the parlor. Underneath the floor in the parlor. Yes, right here beneath me. I must be careful, very careful. You are careful. Hammer the nails in straight. The nails are important. Very important. One more nail and then my job is done. One, two. Now, now what? Oh, yes. Pull the big upholstered chair over the grave. There. And then place the carpet just as it was in front of it. Clever, clever. Yes, I am clever. <laughs> Very clever. The plan has worked. He's dead. He's dead. And no one knows. No one knows? I've cleaned up his bedroom, scrubbed it, put his clothes away. Not even a blood stain remains to give me away. Not one? Not one. No trace. No trace at all. You're positive. Of course I'm positive. Clever, clever child. Of course I'm clever. Today I'll tell the neighbors my uncle left for the country. Will they believe you? Of course they'll believe me. Believe you? Believe you? And tomorrow, early tomorrow morning, I'll say I'm leaving to join my uncle in the country. It's so easy. I'll disappear. Disappear completely from the world. Forever from that eye. That huge, distorted eye. So I dropped over to this precinct station, Inspector Gelby, and thought I'd tell you about it. Yes, a very strange story, Mr. Holscomb. You say this old man, Mr. Woodward, has never left town for the baths before? Not for the last 20 years, sir. I've been their neighbor for longer than that, really. Hmm. And the nephew, Charles Woodward. Uh, how did he seem this morning? Very much the same as usual. Perhaps a trifle more chipper. Said he was looking forward to joining his uncle at the baths tomorrow. And you're positive this scream you heard last night came from the direction of the Woodward house? Absolutely. I was standing at my window at the time, looking out. It must have been a little past midnight. Suddenly I saw a gleam of light from Mr. Woodward's bedroom and then the scream. Scream last long? No. But I'm positive no unimportant explanation is behind the scream. It sounds fishy enough, Mr. Holscomb. Certainly no harm in investigating it. The boy is innocent. He'll be glad enough to allow us to search his uncle's bedroom. If he's guilty, well, we'll know in good time. Yes, in very good time. Mind if I go with you? Not at all, not at all. I'd like to have you along, Holscomb. You're always welcome. This isn't a case of idle curiosity, Inspector. It's just that I enjoy collecting these little tales of death and murder. I've made it a life hobby, and I hate to miss an opportunity. Yes, I hate to miss an opportunity. Search the house, Inspector, if you don't believe me. My uncle's room is right at the top of these stairs. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. My uncle will be very amused by all this when I tell him. Oh, it's not that either. I nor Mr. Holscomb suspect anything, you know. No, no, certainly not, Charlie, my boy. Of course not. Yep, this is my uncle's room, as you no doubt know, Mr. Holscomb. Yes, of course it is. Search to your heart's content. Mm, room's in perfect order. If I murdered my uncle mysteriously, there ought to be at least one blood stain on the bedclothes or... Or on the floor. Mind if I undo the bed to look at the sheets? Well, not at all, Inspector. Careful. You are clever, clever, but be careful. The bed sheets are used, but there's certainly no sign of violence here. Well, naturally, Inspector. And the floors. Hmm, spotless. 
Your uncle must be a very neat man. Exceedingly neat. Isn't he, Mr. Holscomb? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm sorry we bothered you like this, sir. But you know it's better to be on the safe side. Well, I, I understand perfectly, Inspector. I'm sorry, Charles. Perfectly all right, Mr. Holscomb. I would have done the same thing in your shoes. Uh, won't you gentlemen join me in the parlor for a cup of tea before you leave? Well, now, we'd be too much trouble. No trouble at all, I guarantee you. No trouble at all. Here, I, I better close the door to Uncle's room before dust blows through from the hallway. You know my uncle's fetish. Ah, I'll join you gentlemen in the parlor shortly, after I fetch the tea. <laughs> A very amusing story. A very amusing story, Mr. Holtz. I always thought so, Inspector Gilby. You collect stories of crime, don't you, Mr. Holtz? Yes, indeed. I found some prize ones in my day. Yes, I, I imagine you have. He'd enjoy your story, Charles. Yes, he'd enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, pass the sugar, Inspector, please. Huh? Oh, yes, here you are. Listen, Charles. What is it? Listen. Listen. What'd you say, Charles? Nothing. I have a very amusing story about a woman in India. I read it in the paper the other morning just as I was eating some very fine orange marmalade. Listen. Listen. It's the heart, Charles. The old man's heart. The heart. The heart. You can hear it. No. No, it can't be. What can't be? Oh, he denies the truth of my story even before I tell it. Uh, what about the woman in India? Can it be? Can it be the beating of the old man's heart? Well, she murdered a rich uncle of hers. Can a man I murdered return to life? It's getting louder and louder. Louder and louder. Why did she murder him? No known motive. They're playing with me. They're both watching me. Watching me. Watching you. Watching you. How did she murder him? Cut him in little pieces and hid him under the flooring in her bedroom. Under the flooring? Under the flooring. Making a mockery of a, a living horror. They know, Charles. They know. They know, Charles. They know. What's the matter, Charles? Well, you look ill. Ill? Ill. Make it stop. Make it stop. They're playing with you. Playing with no. you. No. Watch him, Inspector. He's, he's... The fools. Don't play with me like this. You can hear it. I can see it in your faces. In your evil, grinning faces. You can hear it. The heart. The telltale heart. Return from death. Admit you can hear it. It's becoming louder and louder. Louder and louder. 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 Stop it. Stop it. I admit the deed. I admit I murdered my uncle last night. Only for the love of God. Make his hideous heart stop beating. You murdered Yes. Yes, I murdered him. Tear up the plank underneath his chair. Rescue the body. But stop the beating of the telltale heart. Telltale heart. Telltale heart. have been bringing you the Veard Circle. And this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Candy. Worried that you might find pieces of Acme Brand Halloween Candy for months? Possibly years after trick-or-treating has ended in your neighborhood? Never fear! Acme Brand Halloween Candy is shelf-stable for up to 16 years. You can't call it stale... It's already called Acme.
We now return you to the conclusion of The Weird Circle here on Dime Store Radio Theater's Halloween Spooktacular 2023! From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought to you the story, The Telltale Heart. Bellkeeper, hold the bell. of the past, we have heard another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. Be here in this lonely cave by the restless sea once again next time for another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. And now, for our second installment this week, we bring you the price of fear with waxwork. The price of fear brought to you by Vincent Price. Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. And this week, brought to you by Acme Brand Halloween Costumes. We know kids are looking for something new and exciting to wear out with their friends on Halloween night. Something easily recognizable when they go door to door. That's why the Acme Collection this year includes the costumes kids crave. Henry Fonda. Betty Davis, the dashing Cary Grant, and Catherine Hepburn. Yes, your children will swoon over Acme's 1930s Halloween collection. Acme brand Halloween costumes. We've got you covered. And now, back to The Price of Fear. Browsing through a book of quotations the other day, I came across the old Scottish prayer to ward off evil spirits, you remember, from ghoulies and ghosties and long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. (laughs) Well, isn't it strange how the coming of night can alter the whole shape, appearance, even the atmosphere of a house or a room? Sounds are different at night, too. Anyway, reading that old incantation, I was reminded of the tragic case of Raymond Hewson. It's an odd story which I've called the waxwork, so let me tell you about it. 
Some years ago, I was working on a film in London. One evening after we'd finished, I decided to take advantage of a little free time before a dinner engagement and to walk back to my hotel, exploring London as I did so. I'd been walking for about an hour when I came across an inviting-looking pub in an alley just off Baker Street. I went in and ordered a glass of beer and a sandwich. No sooner had I got my drink, enjoying the early evening atmosphere of the place, than I was surprised to hear someone calling my name. Vincent! I say, Vincent! Oh, good Lord, Raymond Hewson! <laughs> I haven't seen you for years. Well, that's right, not since, um... Oh, not, not, not since I, I did those extra bits of dialogue for that film. Yeah. Um, what was it called? Um, oh, dear. Uh, the Thing Without a Thing, or oh. some such name. Oh. <laughs> well, 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 I must say, it really is the most amazing coincidence running into tonight, of all nights. I, in fact, in a, in a way, uh, you might say it's providential. Raymond was a spare, pale man with lank brown hair, and although he spoke plausibly, even forcibly, he had the defensive and somewhat furtive air of a man used to being snubbed. He looked, in fact, exactly what he was, a man gifted somewhat above the ordinary, who was a failure through his own lack of self-assertion. He made a living as a freelance writer, and like most freelance writers, he was always hard up. Indeed, when he spoke of our meeting as being providential, I half expected that he was leading up to asking for a small loan. But that night, Raymond had other things on his mind. You see, I've, ar I've arranged to spend tonight, all night, <laughs> in the Chamber of Horrors at the Waxworks round the corner. I'm hoping to write a piece about it and, you know, get it published. Now, if I could work one or two observations from you into the story, it'd be a great selling point. Um, do you mind? Oh, no, not at all. Look, Vincent, I know you're very busy, but um, I wonder if you'd mind doing me a favour. Oh, anything, my dear chap, within reason. Well, all I want you to do is come with me to the waxworks and see me settled in. No, it won't take very long. It's only a few minutes' walk. Well, I do have a little time to spare, and I must confess that I, I find the idea rather interesting. Oh, good for you. Well, now, look here. Let me buy your drink, and then we'll go round to the waxworks. Um, now, I have an appointment with the director, Miss Frain, at half past seven, so we've just got time. You must realise, Mr. Hewson, that there's nothing new in your request. In fact, we have to refuse it to different people at least three times a week. What kind of people, I wonder, would want to spend all night alone in a waxworks? Oh, mostly foolish young men who've made bets or who are trying to prove something to themselves. Do you always refuse? We do, I'm afraid. You see, if some young idiot were to lose his senses, we should find ourselves in a most embarrassing position. Of course, in this case, you're being a writer, Mr. Hewson, somewhat alters the situation. I suppose you mean that writers have no, no senses to lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But one imagines them to be responsible people. You can't know many writers, Miss Frayne. <laughs> and, of course, in your case, we have something to gain. Publicity. Publicity. Um, yes, well, uh, that brings me to another point. I think I know what's coming. Well, I have, in fact, already been in touch with our advertising manager, and he has agreed that in the event of your article being published in one of the national dailies, you will receive some payment from us. Raymond, how do you intend to treat the story? Well, to make it gruesome, of course. <laughs> um, well, gruesome, but with just a saving touch of humour. But I don't have to tell you anything about presenting horror with humour, Vincent. Well, perhaps not. I think I get the general idea. Well, Mr. Hewson, I wish you good luck with the story. 
But first, I must warn you that it is no small ordeal that you are about to attempt. And I confess that it's not something I should like to do. May I ask why? It's so difficult to explain. But I'll tell you what. Come along now and see for yourselves. But I warn you, Mr. Hewson, that if you are at all susceptible to atmosphere, you are in for a most uncomfortable night. Oh, that's all right. Newspaper editors never stop telling me I've no imagination whatsoever. <laughs> Although Raymond appeared to take the whole affair lightly, I knew him well enough to realise that he was not looking forward to the ordeal. He was obviously down on his luck, and I rather think he saw the whole thing as a last desperate gamble. These thoughts crossed my mind as we followed Miss Frayne through half a dozen rooms where attendants were busy shrouding the kings and queens of England and those others whose fame or notoriety had rendered them eligible for this kind of immortality. I've asked the porter to make you as comfortable as possible, but don't expect too much. I've also given instructions for the figures downstairs to remain uncovered. Through here, gentlemen, please. Oh, before I forget, I must ask you not to smoke. We had a fire scare here this afternoon. I don't know who raised the alarm, but whoever it was, it proved to be a false one. Mind your heads as we go downstairs. Miss Frayne led the way down an ill-lit stone stairway, which conveyed the sinister impression of giving access to a dungeon... On reaching the bottom, we passed along a small passage in which were displayed a few preliminary horrors, such as relics of the Spanish Inquisition and a pair of early English stocks. In turn, this corridor opened into a dimly lit room with a vaulted roof. It was by design an eerie and uncomfortable chamber, the very atmosphere of which invited its visitors to speak in whispers. The waxworks figures stood on low pedestals with numbered tickets at their feet. Seeing them elsewhere without knowing whom they represented, one would have thought them a dull, even a shabby-looking collection, but gathered together in that sinister room. Ooh. Well, here we are, gentlemen. Recent notoriety is rubbing shoulders with all the old favourites. Perhaps you recognise one or two of them. This, of course, is the famous Dr. Crippen. Insignificant little fellow, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Over there is Wilkinson, the strangler. And there you see a tableau depicting the murder of the two little princes in the Tower of London. It's a very dark Tower of London. Oh, yes. I'm sorry that I can't give you any more light, but that's all there is. For obvious reasons, we keep this place as murky as possible. Good Lord. Who's that over there? Oh, yes, I was coming to him. That's one of our star turns. A present-day murderer who has never paid the price for his crimes. The figure which Hewson had indicated was that of a small, slight man, not much more than five feet in height. It wore waxed moustaches, spectacles, and a voluminous cape. There was something so exaggeratedly French in its appearance that it reminded me of a stage caricature, something out of one of those delightful bedroom farces by Fedeux. I, I could not say precisely why that mild-looking face seemed so repellent, but I found myself instinctively taking a step backwards. Nasty-looking character, isn't it? <laughs> Who is it? That is Dr. Bourdette. Bourdette. I've heard that name recently, Bourdette. 
I can't remember in what connection. You'd remember better if you were a Frenchman. For a long time, he was the terror of Paris. He carried on his work of healing by day and of throat cutting by night. Oh, yes, I remember now. Wasn't it said that he killed people for the sheer devilish pleasure it gave him and always with a razor? That's Ooh. right. After his last crime, he left behind a clue which set the police on his trail. In fact, they soon amassed enough evidence to send him to the madhouse or the guillotine on a dozen capital charges. But I, I thought you said... That he was never caught. Oh, he was caught all right and tried and convicted. But somehow he managed to escape and cheated the guillotine. One or two crimes of a similar nature have taken place in London quite recently. But then it's queer, isn't it, how every notorious murderer has imitators. Anyway, most of the experts believe that he is quite definitely dead. Well, I don't like him at all. <laughs> oh, those eyes. Whew. They seem to bite into you. Yes, don't they? This figure's a little masterpiece. It's excellent realism, really, for Bourdet practised hypnotism and was supposed to mesmerise his victims before dispatching them. Oh, I see. I, I was wondering how so small a man could have managed to overcome his victims. Well, it was mesmerism. At least there was never any sign of a struggle. Do you know, I, I thought I saw him move. Oh, come on now, Raymond. No, he moved, I tell you. Oh. <laughs> oh, You'll have more than one optical illusion before the night's out, I expect, Mr. Houston. But remember, you won't be locked in. You can come upstairs whenever you've had enough of it. There are watchmen on the premises, so don't be surprised if you hear them moving. I've told them you're here, by the way. Raymond, you quite sure you want to go through with this? Of course. And I think it very mean of you not to have offered to stay with me. Oh, <laughs> oh that wouldn't be fair, Mr. Hewson. You must be quite alone. Well, don't think I won't mention you in my story, Vincent. Though I may as well tell you that I shall feature heavily as the hero. <laughs> Raymond, I assure you that even if I didn't already have a dinner engagement, I should still be only too happy... To let you stay here all night by yourself. This place gives me the creeps. Well, Mr. Houston, I'll wish you a very good night. And so do I, Raymond. A very good night and a successful story to celebrate tomorrow. Why don't you give me a ring, hmm? I'm at Jameson's Hotel in the Strand. Thanks, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Well, good night. Good night, Mr. Houston. And thanks for tucking me in. And so we left him, and after a quick, and I must confess, welcome drink in Miss Frayne's office, I went back to my hotel to get changed for dinner. It must have been at about three o'clock the next morning that I received an urgent telephone call from Miss Frayne asking me to return to the waxworks immediately. And this is how our night watchman found him. He thought he heard somebody scream and came down here to investigate, and immediately rang me at my flat. And I'm afraid that when I found what had happened, I rather, well, panicked and rang you. You see, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have his home number or anything. I understand. Have you notified the police? It's usual, you know, in cases of sudden death. I did think of it, sir, but I thought it better to ring Miss Frayne first. I could see at once it was uh, too late to call a doctor. I'm afraid I didn't think too clearly. Oh, how awful. This is the sort of thing we've always tried to avoid. What will the directors say? Well, there's time enough to let them know later. Have you any idea of how it could have happened? Not at all, sir. I just heard this scream like and came running. I noticed Raymond's notebook lying on the floor by the tape recorder, which had run out. I began idly turning over the pages. 
And what follows is my own interpretation of what happened from the time Miss Frayne and I had left him on that fatal evening. Why don't you give me a ring, hmm? I'm at Jameson's Hotel in the Strand. Oh, thanks. Yes, I'll do that. Well, good night. Good night, Mr. Houston. And thanks for tucking me in. <laughs> right, now let's get organised. Now, let me see. Um, notebooks. Pencils. Tape recorder. It's in working order. Flask. Yes, mustn't forget that. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's cold down here. I wish I brought a blanket. Now, <clears throat> now rough notes first and then record. Yeah, should get a nice creepy atmospheric piece. Might even flog it to the BBC. Right. Um, the dim, unvarying light fell on the rows of figures, which were so uncannily like human beings. The air in the chamber was stagnant, as the water at the bottom of a standing pond. <clears throat> good God, what's that? Oh, good evening, sir. Startled you, did I? I'm very sorry. Uh, Miss Frayne asked me to bring down this chair for you. She thought it might be more comfortable than the one you've got, sir. Oh, God, you made me jump. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does get you like that down here, sir. <laughs> Creepy, that's what it is, sir. Creepy. Uh, now, sir, where would you like this chair? Over here by Dr. Mordet? Uh, no, no, not there. Um, no, just leave it over there in the gangway. I'll put it where I want it later. Oh, very good, sir. Uh, will this do? Yes, thank you. Well, sir, I'll wish you a good night. I'll be upstairs if you want me. Oh, and uh, by the way, sir, don't let any of them sneak up behind you, sir, and touch you with their clammy hands. <laughs> good night, sir. Stupid old fool nearly gave me a heart attack. Now, where to put this damn chair? Um, by the little Frenchman? God, how those eyes dig into one. Now, I know, I know, I'll sit here with my back to him, then I won't have to look at his face. Why not? I'm not afraid of him. Or am I? Come on, come on, Houston. Come on, come on, come on, old son. Your nerves have started playing tricks already. He's only a waxwork. They're all only waxworks. What was that? Something moved. Oh, come on, come on, this won't do. Now, where was I? Yes, yes, stagnant as the water at the bottom of a standing pond. Yes, that's good. Now, uh, note here. Right. After a while, it seemed as if the figures moved when not being watched. But there was not a breath of air in the chamber to stir a curtain or to rustle a hanging drapery. There, good. Now it's fine. Now, clean it up and get this bit on tape. <coughs> the dim, unvarying light fell on the rows of figures, which 
Hello, something moved again. I could swear it. It's Crippen. Every time I take my eyes off him, he moves. Damn it, they all do. Oh, God, I better have a drink. saying it's not good enough. I'm going upstairs. I'm not going to spend the night with a lot of shifty bloody dummies who move when you're not looking. Now, what's the time? Half past one. Oh, six more hours. I'll never do it. <coughs> what's that? It's Crippen again. I nearly caught him that time. You better be careful, Crippen. And all the rest of you. I'll smash you all to pieces. Do you hear? Do you hear me? Why don't I go? Why should I sit here scribbling when I can write all this up tomorrow? Who oh, no. <coughs> What's that? Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. No. I'm Raymond Hewson, freelance writer. I've been here in this chamber of horrors for, what, a few hours. My nerves are beginning to play tricks on me. And that's all they are, tricks. Oh, I'm a living, breathing man, and all around me are statues. Dummies. They can't move, and they can't whisper. Neither can they breathe. But by God, one of them is. Somebody else in this room is breathing. You, Dr. Baudet, you moved. Yes, you did. Daniel, I saw you. Good evening, monsieur. I was right, you did move. Quite right, my dear friend. And now, let me get off this ridiculous... Platform. Don't come near me! Really, Mr. Yusson, let us not be uh, melodramatic, huh? Ah! Oh, that's better. One gets so stiff standing in the same position all the time. I need hardly tell you that I never expected to have the pleasure of a companion here for the night. Oh, what the devil are you? My dear sir... I have no illusions. <laughs> I'm not one of these contemptible effigies, miraculously come to life. I am Dr. Boudet himself. But I, I don't understand. How, how, how do I to... come to be here? Let me explain. You see, for some time now, I've been living quietly in England. Well, late this afternoon, as I was passing this building, I saw a policeman regarding me uh, somewhat too closely. So I uh, mingled with the crowd and came in here. And when I entered this chamber, I uh, saw at once my means of escape from the so inquisitive policeman. I don't understand. Ah, you have no imagination at all, sir. It was so simple. 
I raised a cry of fire, stripped my effigy of the cape, hid it, and simply took its place on the platform. Et voilà! But you must have been there for hours. Didn't anyone notice you? One small boy only. He screamed and said that he saw me moving. I understood that his parents threatened to give him a good hiding on his return home. I can only hope that the threat has been executed to the letter. So you really are, Dr. Bourdet. What a scoop. A scoop? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> well, we shall see. And to think I nearly packed up and went. Fancy missing this. What a story. Dr. Bourdet. The French Jack the Ripper. A slight exaggeration. Why do it? Why commit these awful murders? Ah, you see, the world is divided into two classes. The collectors and the non-collectors. The collectors collect anything according to their individual tastes. I collect throats. Uh, no, no, do not attempt to move. It is useless. You cannot move unless I say so. Uh, but, but my notes, I must get all this down. And I'll, I'll never have another chance like this. <laughs> Exactement. You have given me the opportunity of gratifying my uh, somewhat unusual whim. No, no. <clears throat> you, you, just hold on a minute. Ah, oh, but you have a skinny neck, sir. If you will overlook such a personal remark. Now, now you, you look here, Dr. Bloody Baudet. If you think you can never have selected you from choice. Oh, I like thick necks. Thick, red, meaty necks. Uh, but enough talking. Enough talking? I haven't even started yet. I'm not alone here, you know. I've only got to shout, and the watchman will come running. And where will you be then? This is a little. French razor. The blade you observe is very no, look, narrow. Look, 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 look. Uh, uh, <clears throat> look. I promise not to say a word about you being here and not to use the story until... Does the razor suit you, sir? Well, we shall look, see. Look, I, I, I won't use a damn story at all. No, sir. Your appeals are useless. You are now completely no, look, under my I, control. I'll, 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 you I'll cannot even speak unless I tell you to do so. Now, you will please have the goodness to uh, raise your chin a little. Huh? Uh, uh, ah, thank you. Oh, uh, just a fraction more. Huh? Ah. <laughs> Merci, monsieur. Merci. That is parfait. Poor Raymond. When I had finished reading his notes, I turned my attention to the tape recorder. Of course, the batteries had run flat hours ago, but the ever-obliging Raymond had brought along his own replacements, which were lying conveniently at his feet, unused. 
Carefully, I rewound the tape and switched the machine over to playback. Standing there in silence, the three of us listened as the tape played, hoping perhaps to find the answer to Raymond's sudden death. When it had finished, we stood there looking at each other, puzzled. Then I rewound the last few moments of the tape and played it again. And only then did I understand. Now, you, you, you look here, Dr. Bloody Bordet. If you think... Enough talking, I haven't even started yet. I'm not alone here, you know. I've only got to shout, and the watchman will come running. Where will you be then? Look here, look. Uh, <clears throat> look, I, pr I promise not to say a word about you being here, and, 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 and not to use a story until... Look, I, I, I won't use a damn story at all. <laughs> the waxwork figures stood apathetically in their places waiting to be admired by the crowds who would soon wander fearfully among them. In their midst, in the center gangway, Raymond Hewson sat still, leaning far back in his armchair. His chin was tilted up, as if he were waiting to receive attention from a barber, and although there was not a scratch upon his throat, he was cold and dead. His previous employers had been wrong in crediting him with no imagination. If anything, he had an overabundance of that particular commodity. As I left that sinister chamber, I glanced back. Dr. Bourdet, on his pedestal, watched the dead man unemotionally. He did not move, nor was he capable of motion, but then, after all, he was only a waxwork. One thing, however, still troubles me, that... Laughter on the tape. Of course, it could have been on the tape already. It has since, I confess, crossed my mind that perhaps Miss Frayne had added it, hoping for extra publicity. Perhaps I thought that was why she had not called the police at once. But these thoughts I dismissed as being both ungallant and impractical. But what else could explain it? The alternative is too awful to think of. Could it really have been the waxworks, those vacant, staring effigies laughing at the fate of Raymond Hewson? Could it? I wonder. Well, good night. Sleep well. <laughs> That was Vincent Price bringing you The Price of Fear. Also starring in the waxwork was Peter Barkworth with Cyril Shapps, Joan Cooper and Christopher Bidmead. The waxwork was first recounted by A.M. Burridge, dramatized by Barry Campbell and produced by John Dias. <laughs>
Welcome to Dime Store Revelations, the show within a show, where we talk about the show that uh, is within the show. And we got a pretty lively chat this week here as we are experiencing a bit of a hellraiser where we're trying to raise a little bit of money for WFMU and Sheena's Jungle Room and uh, keep all these wonderful shows uh, on uh, the air. And so let me say a huge hello to uh, Imaginos and Charles and Web Hamster Henry. Hello. AI Robot, Laura Panic. Thank you for tuning in. Your friend Paul. Hey, how's it going? And I think Mr. Fab is hanging out as well, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, let's see, there was a, a human and Wenzo. Yeah, we got all, WR, of course, of course. Yeah, you know, we got a lot of, uh, of, of fans of uh, Mr. Price here. I, I was just saying in the chat that I don't think I could imagine doing this show without him around the Halloween season. So um, uh, if you want to continue to see him appear on this show, please make a donation. And just click that little banner at the top of the page. And I'll, I'll shut up about it from here on out. But, uh, it, you know, it helps us. You can get all sorts of wonderful uh, and, and, and excellent uh, um, swag as a, as a kickback. And, uh, yeah, good radio comes your way over and over again. What more do you want? Now, <clears throat> we've been doing a lot of fun stuff this uh, year, trying to kind of keep some themes going. I, I've got a, a, one of the themes that has been uh, this uh, Boris Karloff, the Gentle Monster documentary from the Biography Channel. Uh, and I actually just watched the other day their uh, Biography Channel, Bella Lugosi documentary, which is a little bit sadder, I will admit, but uh, is certainly a, a companion to this one. There is actually a documentary podcast called uh, You Must Remember This with uh, Karina Longworth as the host. And she does an amazing overview of the lives of both Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, I think in multi-part stories. Uh, and, and she just has a wonderful vo voice, a great way of telling these tales. I recommend those if you want to kind of dig a little deeper into these lives of these uh, um, uh, characters. But uh, yes, we're going to hear part three of that Boris Karloff documentary here coming up in a bit. And then for hour two, uh, we've been running uh, all of the existing episodes of The Black Castle slash The Black uh, um, Chapel. Uh, there aren't that many of them, and uh, they all have really poor sound. And so I have used some uh, online enhancement tools and some other EQ tricks that I know to try to improve the audio for The Black Chapel and the Black Castle as best I can. And this one today that we're hearing, Jungle Adventure, whew, it needed a lot of help. Um, not only in that I needed to improve the audio so that you could hear it, but that there is a very unfortunate slur that is used a few times in this episode as well, which I have edited out for everybody's uh, enjoyment. Uh, now, uh, usually I don't try to edit old-time radio stuff like this, but with an episode like this where I have already been doing such intensive audio reconstruction just to get it so that we can hear <laughs> what the show was, I thought it was kind of okay to cut out 
the three or four times that they use that one word. Um, and uh, it doesn't really change the flow of the story. I think you can probably guess what where the edit is, uh, even if I, I have been a little careful about it. Like I said, I don't normally do this kind of thing, but it felt a little bit appropriate given circumstances. What kind of show do I want people to hear? An enjoyable show, that's what. But uh, nonetheless, The Black Castle is one of these shows where they <clears throat> it was one person doing all of the voices. And so they would, with the same microphone in front of them, just do voices back to back as if they were talking to each other in character. Uh, it's really kind of an unusual kind of radio. I've heard a few other people do shows like that as well. This is probably the only one that's in the horror vein. Uh, so uh, definitely uh, um, want to uh, draw your attention to that. And then Quiet Please this week. <laughs> it is the urtext for some of my favorite kinds of radio of all time. You've got a horror story with a ghost and a detective. I, I, I mean, it is uh, it is spectacular, and, and and I again did I used some enhancement tools on the Quiet Please episode because all of the existing Quiet Please recordings just sound like garbage, and I really love this show, and it's never really been available to hear very well. You really kind of have to be patient if you want to reap the rewards of listening to Quiet Please. So I'm hoping that my enhancements have made it a little more enjoyable for those who are who are interested don't have much time of course uh, so please like i said before make a donation to wfmu and sheena's jungle room help keep shows like this on the air uh join us in the chat we have some great uh, stuff going on in the chat and uh yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a way to keep things going uh where we uh, add a little extra dimension to our our broadcast what can I say? You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Thank you for the compliments, Mr. Fab. And we'll see you on the other side. Until next time. August 5th, 1938, the owner of a nearly bankrupt Los Angeles theater staged a desperate stunt by booking Frankenstein and Dracula on a double bill. It started a sensation. Boris Karloff, The Gentle Monster, a biography channel documentary, part three. Boris Karnoff was back, and the 50-year-old actor agreed to tackle the rigors of the monster's makeup for a third time. Edison, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Sun Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. These candid shots of the Son of Frankenstein is the only color footage of my father in the Frankenstein makeup. It shows him clowning around on the set with Jack Pierce, the genius makeup artist. And the nice thing is it shows my father's humor and his gentleness of spirit coming through because to clown around in that makeup must not have been very comfortable to do. 
Although there was much to recommend it, Karloff felt that Son of Frankenstein was a pale imitation of its predecessors. But his disappointment during production was offset by the arrival of his first and only child, a daughter named Sarah Jane, born on November 23, 1938. I was born on my father's birthday, which makes me probably the most expensive birthday present he ever got. Despite the success of Son of Frankenstein, Boris was becoming increasingly dissatisfied with the kinds of roles he was being offered. Anxious for new challenges, he accepted an offer from theatrical producers Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss to star in his first Broadway play, a black comedy entitled Arsenic and Old Lace. His role as Jonathan Brewster, a homicidal dead ringer for a certain actor named Boris Karloff, was tailor-made. He gets out of a chest by a window, and when he gets out saying something about he looks like Boris Karloff, the audience just absolutely broke up. He was hilarious. Arsenic and Old Lace became one of the longest-running plays in the history of the American theater. It also established Boris Karloff as a legitimate actor and a major star. Here, in the midst of gaiety and splendor, lurks a monster of psychological horror. Tonight, you give your voice and your will to me. Starring the terrorizing star of Arsenic and Old Lace, Boris Karloff. Despite his much-heralded return to Universal in the climax, Boris's Hollywood offerings were still limited to low-budget thrillers like The House of Frankenstein, appearing this time not as the monster, but as its maker. I'm going to give that brain of yours a new home in the skull of the Frankenstein monster. Of course, low budgets could on occasion produce films of high quality, as Boris discovered when he signed with RKO Studios and producer Val Luton to appear in a series of tightly budgeted but highly effective suspense thrillers. Karloff's words were, Val Luton rescued my soul. He and Val Luton were both well-educated, literate men, and they wanted to present literate horror films. Their first effort, based on Robert Louis Stevenson's The Body Snatcher, showcased Karloff as homicidal grave robber John Gray. It also marked the final screen pairing with his old friend, Bela Lugosi. You and I should work together. You mean we would sell the bodies to the doctors together? Dig them up. There'll be no digging. The kirkyards are too well guarded. Boris was very, very keen to do this particular role because he realized that this was his chance to show that he really was a top actor and not just some kind of a man to play monsters. And that was, what I think, what drove him to want to do the film and to work as hard as he did it. He was not particularly well. He was having a lot of back problems, but uh, he just buried that and just gave every bit of himself possible. Following The Body Snatcher, Karloff continued his association with Val Luton in two of the most atmospheric films of the 1940s, Isle of the Dead and Bedlam, co-starring Anna Lee. It was the story of St. Mary's of Bethlehem Hospital in London, which is still a hospital for the insane. And I remember Boris used to get quite irritated when people called it a horror picture, because he said it's not a horror picture, it's a historical picture, which it was. Karloff's frustrations at being typed as Hollywood's premier boogeyman were soon overshadowed by a crisis in his personal life. Unknown to even their closest friends, the marriage of Boris and his wife Dorothy was collapsing. I don't have the faintest clue what went wrong, but at the same time, he married my stepmother the day after the divorce was final. 
During the post-war years, as nuclear age monsters attacked theater screens, Boris turned to his first love, the stage. Returning to Broadway, he gave highly acclaimed performances in The Linden Tree, The Shop at Sly Corner, and in the role that had inspired him to become an actor as his beloved Captain Hook in Peter Pan. While playing the archenemy of the little boy who wouldn't grow up, Karloff began enjoying a growing legion of new fans, children. Far from frightening them, Boris was becoming better known to young audiences as the friendly narrator of countless radio shows and recordings of fairy tales. Hello there, boys and girls. Are you all ready for another story from your Uncle Boris? It's called Little Red Riding Hood. No, 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 Sarah Jane. It is not about a red-headed hood who was taken for a ride. Shame on you for even thinking of such a thing. He was now prized among his peers as an actor's actor. He had played on the stage with great distinction. He was Mr. Karloff. I mean, he was Mr. Karloff, but he was highly, highly respected. But Boris was not one to rest on his laurels, and despite increasing physical problems, the 64-year-old actor sought out fresh challenges in the burgeoning new medium of television. I had, in the late 50s, done a live television show with him, Playhouse 90, which was Heart of Darkness, and he played Kurtz. I know you. Take my hand. Quickly. Based on the novel by his favorite author, Joseph Conrad, Karloff's portrayal of the mad jungle leader conveyed a depth of talent and emotion unseen in the role until Marlon Brando's interpretation more than 20 years later. Now living a quiet life in the monumental privacy of New York's Dakota apartments, Boris was completely unprepared for a trick played on him by his friend Ralph Edwards one evening in 1958. Our honored guest, whom we're about to surprise tonight, is known to all of you as one of the truly great and beloved stars of the theater, motion pictures, radio and television. Pan the camera quickly, please. He's not coming through those doors because he's seated right there innocently. Tonight, this is your life, Boris Karloff. He had a moment when they turned the cameras on him and he in fact realized that this was his life. Boris, I think we really put the... Oh my. <laughs> I think my father was horrified. He didn't talk about himself. He hated it. He hated prying into his past. Absolutely hated it. He was very shy and very quiet. While waiting for that first acting job, uh, how did you make a living? Well, I cleared land, uh, shoveled coal, laid streetcar tracks, did all sorts of things. My father never complained about anything. Consequently, had he talked about the difficult periods in his life, I think to him it would have been grousing. Frank the director Frank, of the workshop Frank. at Anchorage, Alaska, Frank Frink. He had a lot of inner pride, but he was not a boastful man. I know he was genuinely pleased to see Jack Pierce. The best makeup man in the world. I owe him a lot. This is Your Life really did a marvelous job in pulling together some special people in my father's life. From San Francisco, your daughter, Sarah Jane. <laughs> Boris Karloff, The Gentle Monster, a Biography Channel documentary. They'll return next week on Dime Store Revelations. Tune in and 
follow the story. And now, for our third installment of the evening, we present The Black Castle with Jungle Adventure. Up these steps to the iron-studded oaken door which yawns wide on rusted hinges, bidding us enter. Follow softly down this long stone-walled corridor. Music. Do you hear it? It is he, sitting before the ruined old organ, clutching the keys with his ancient bony fingers. And there, perched on his shoulder, is his weight. It is well to stop. For here is the wizard of the Black Castle. There you are. Back again, I see. Well, welcome. Come in, come in. You'll be overjoyed at the tale I have for you tonight. Diablo, away with you. Don't make so much noise. No more interruptions. Away. Off to your place in the rafters. What I have to tell you happened to two young sires who were lost in the jungles across the seas. Lost in the shadows and murky mists that writhe and whisper as they haunt the never-never land and drive men mad. When they are shorn of the veneer called civilization and ready to believe in the evil powers of the spirits which infest the jungle. Yes! Take it easy, Greg, old son. Now I'll have this bandage on and have to shake here. I'm doing okay, can I get you fine? Just fine. Ah, thanks. I just wish you hadn't used your shirt for the swing, though. No telling what we'll meet up with in this neck of the woods. Ain't nothing of it, son. It's my fault we're here. If I'd have been on my toes, I'd have spotted that zero coming at us and got him before he got us. Instead of knocking him down after you filled our motor full of hot lead. Yes, that's what they call the fortunes of Worley. Well, I feel good because you did get him. Now there are two sky buggies in this forsaken hole for the lizards to riot in. Yeah. Got any idea where we are, Greg? Last time I looked at the map, we weren't very far from that gut supply base and maybe supported on the peninsula. I didn't see anything from upstairs, though. Neither did I. Well, fella, feel like walking somewhere? Sure. Sure, no sense sitting here. Come on. Let's go. Up to Daisy now. You take care of that arm, pal. Now go ahead and find some kind of a way for you. Good idea. Go slow now. Let's, let's save our strength. Say, wait a minute, Lee. Do you smell something? What? By golly, yeah. Smells like smoke. Hmm. Wonder what it is. It seems to be coming from that way. Let's go see, shall we? Thank you now. You think it could be the sons of the rising sun? I don't know. But we better take no chances. Look, I'm sure to make a lot of noise with this arm out of commission the way it is. So suppose you ease over there and see what's doing. 
Okay, Greg. You stay here and uh, uh, let me have your 45, eh? Sure. Take it. Hurry back now. And in one piece. Sure. I got you, Greg. from that zero I shot down. It's, it's burning over there. And the pilot is laying on the ground beside the plane. Have we run into a patrol? Just, wait a minute now. Just, just let me swallow my stomach again. Greg? No, no, there's no patrol. It's just the biggest giant I ever laid eyes on. And he's torn the pilot's face apart and he's sitting there pulling the guy's teeth out of the jaws with his bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> the creatures of the jungle feast on impeders. Vengeance comes out of the darkness and strikes swiftly, without warning. And for the victims, the worst of all is the fear that paralyzes muscles and numbs the reason. Fear, born of the knowledge that death stalks the shadowy maze of the jungle, ready to strike whomever the victim may be. <laughs> Well, I, I guess we put enough ground between us and that that giant. Hey, Greg, do you suppose he was a cannibal? He didn't have a bone through his nose, though, like you see in the picture books. No telling, Lee. Oh, but I'd just assume not walk up and ask him. You know what I mean. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And personally, I wouldn't care if I never saw him again. Uh-oh. What's the matter? I um, guess I spoke too soon, Greg. Don't, don't look now, but he's right behind you there. But he can't be. He's that weak. White man hurt. Greg, I could have sworn I heard him say, white man hurt. Me too, please. I, I beg pardon, did you, did you say something? White man hurt arm. He did say it, Greg. Now I've heard everything. Uh, yes, yes. Arm hurt. The shot. Here. White man, take off rag. Huh? Rag? Rag? Now, what do you think he means? Quietly. Why do you want me to take off bandage? Kundu, big, little white man, come close. Kundu. Little white man? Look, that's me, Greg. What'll I do? Go ahead, Lee. Go ahead. Don't cross it. Okay. Okay. Then up the mouth. And nice knowing you, pal. Little man, take Kundu by hand to hurt man. By the hand? Hey, what's the big idea? Greg? What's the matter now? He's... Look at his face, Greg. He's... He's blind. Blind? He can't be, he just said. I know, fella, I know what he said. Well, come on. Here you are, mister. Here's my buddy. I'm covering him with a 45, Greg. All right, man, listen. 
Bundu, Wambatu, Chief, ten sons pass, the Jap man come, make trade, Wambatu people, my people, Kondu, Palava, make trade, man bring warriors in night, kill my people in sleep, try kill Kondu, now only Kondu left. Did you hear that, Greg? Those snakes snuck up on these here folks while they was dickering with them and massacred them. Just like Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Yeah, I got it, Lee. Kundu, how can we help you? Kundu, no white man fight just devils. Kundu, cure white man if white man be I for Kundu. That's a fair offer, Kundu. What's next? Oh, wait, wait a minute, Greg, now. Wait a minute. How's he going to cure you? I don't know, Lee, but I'm willing to take a chance. This fellow's on our side. All right, Kundu. You've got two pair of eyes right now. There, in the darkening jungle, the white men watched the giant take from a hidden pouch the strange tools of his head. Ugly dolls with thorns piercing their black skin bodies. Smelly ointments that made the white man wince when the great black hands smeared them on his wounds. Dirty powders that smoked with nauseous choking cows in the fire which appeared from nowhere. And in a twinkling of time, the medicine was made. The sparrow cast. And then... Well, I'll be a Billy Goat's grandpa. Look at that. Yes, look at that. The, the swelling's gone down, and my arm is beginning to feel better already. All right, man, come now. Okay, Kundu, we're ready. But we'll have to wait till the sun comes up again. We won't be able to find our way in this darkness. All right, man, come this way. Great. That guy knows where he's going without us. He doesn't need eyes. I've thought about that, Lee. But let's not argue. Go ahead, Kundu. We're right behind you. Do you remember this stream, Lee? No. I don't think we came this way, Greg. White man, wait. Soon Kundu avenge Wombatu people. What's he going to do, Greg? Let's watch and see. Look. Aren't those things... Hmm? Well, I'll be... Hey, they look like the teeth you pulled out of the pilot's jaw. Wait, he's grinding between a couple of stones he's got there. Now what? Well, he's got more stuff in that little bag of his than I ever saw outside a woman's purse. Oh, there's some more of that sticky stuff he rubbed on your arm. He's making a paste of the teeth and that goo. Good grief. White man, come now. Make no noise. White man, keep still. Take fetish. Love one face of soldiers. Okay, Kundu. Come on, Lee. Take some. I don't know what's going to be, but it ought to be terrific. Hey, look. You're the sentry sleeping. There you are, you son of heaven. Official. Compliment to Mr. Kundu of the Wombatoos. Good. Didn't even wake up, eh? You take that side, Lee, and I'll take this. Go into every hut you see and do the same thing. 
That's what Kalua doing, anyhow. Let's try and catch up with him. Okay, boy. And I'll meet you back at the screen when I run out of this stuff. Lee, Lee, are you there somewhere? Over here, Greg. Hey, how'd you make out, you? I, I don't understand it. It's uncanny. Not one of them woke up. And I must have smeared 30 of them. Me too. Where's Kundu? I don't know. Did you catch up with him? No. Best I saw of me was going down the village street. Kundu here. White man, wait. White warriors come soon. Many boats come from big water. Kundu? How did you find that out? Kundu go now. Hey, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But... Well, how do you like that guy? Why, he just comes and goes like nothing. Wombatu! Wombatu! unresisting little village couldn't have made anyone believe the story of the giant without eyes. Because the only other kinds of human beings about the native huts were bodies of the dead Japanese which littered them. Bodies whose faces had been mangled as if by wild animals in the dark of the jungle night. Yes. <laughs> Theaters Halloween Spooktacular 2023 <laughs> presents Quiet, please. This never send to know. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Mutual Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. 
Quiet Please for tonight is called Never Send to Know. I wouldn't be caught in an alley with a derby hat. Or with one of those light, snap-brimmed ones, either. Look. You know what this thing is? It's an automatic pistol. It's not a rod, a Roscoe, or a heater. You know where I keep it? In my desk drawer. I can't speak Chinese. I think most policemen are very nice fellows, very efficient, generally courteous. Almost always intelligent, I get along with them beautifully. I don't know any stool pigeons. I have never hit a woman in my life. Nobody has ever called me a private eye or a uh, Seamus, or however you pronounce it. And I do not indulge in rapid-fire slang. Oh, and for your information, a pistol does not go kachow. I will now fire a pistol so you can see. This is how a pistol sounds. You probably could put that sound into words, but I submit that it definitely would not be Kachow. Would it? Well? Fool. Ah, I must admit I do have a secretary. Uh, Mrs. Radabaugh. Well? Come in, Mrs. Radabaugh. Well? This is my secretary, Mrs. Radabaugh. What do you want? Mrs. Radabaugh, how many jewel robberies have I solved? Huh. We may take that to mean nothing. You ain't had any jewel robberies. Precisely. Do you recall any cases involving beautiful oriental maidens, Mrs. R? I do not. Any in which I was kidnapped by counterfeiters? Listen, I'm busy, Mr. Kramer. Now, Mrs. Radabaugh, if I propose to you... Huh? Let you and I take an automobile trip to an obscure village in uh, New Hampshire to investigate the murder of an elderly recluse. What would you do? I'd quit. Ah. And what do you consider the most exciting of all the cases I have handled as a, a private eye? A what? You see, a, a private detective, uh, investigator, Mrs. R. You haven't had any exciting ones. And I wish you'd stop calling me Mrs. R. Thank you, Mrs. Radabaugh. I'm going home early this afternoon. Are you? There's a parent-teachers' meeting. How soon will you be leaving? As soon as I finish the typing the minutes for the last meeting. Very well, Mrs. Radabaugh. Uh, don't forget to lock the door when you go. No, the, the business of a private investigator is not all... Gunplay in beautiful blondes. There are occasional blondes, yes. But they all seem to want divorces or to escape divorces. And a startlingly high proportion of them are not beautiful. 
I have never fired my pistol in anger since I became a private detective. I have looked through a number of transoms, and I have guarded wedding gifts a few times. I have even helped a police officer make an arrest of the man who stole safety razors from a drugstore. In my younger days, well, I, I suppose I was a roughneck. I bummed all over the country. I've seen the insides of not a few uh, jailhouses. I met some very interesting people. But now in my fat forties, I'm content to have this small office and do odd jobs for people at a price and relax. Yeah. Going already, Mrs. Radabaugh? It's not Mrs. Radabaugh. Oh, oh excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, isn't Mrs. Radabaugh up there? I didn't notice. Well, I... Uh, <laughs> uh, what can I do for you, sir? You are Mr. Kramer, aren't you? Yes, sir. May I sit down? Thank you. You, uh, you're a detective? Yes, sir. Yes. I would like to engage you. I am open to suggestions, sir. Yes. You find out things. <laughs> Sometimes I do, sir. I, uh, uh, at least try to find out. I want you to find out something for me. Good. Your fee... Why, uh, we can discuss that later, sir. When I know a little more about what you want me to do. All right. Uh, uh, would you care to give me your name? Uh, in confidence, of course. I don't know what my name is. I beg your pardon? I don't know what my name is. Oh, uh, an amnesia case, I take it. I mean, you want me to find out who you are. No. Well, I was going to say that the police... What did you say? I'm not interested in knowing who I am. Well, I... I uh... My name's not important anyway. I'm afraid I don't quite understand, sir. Just what was it you wanted me to find out? I want you to find out who murdered me. I beg your pardon. I want to know who murdered me, so we can be punished. But, but my dear sir, you're not... Uh, you're not... Oh, yes. I am. You are what? I'm a ghost. I see. Now, please don't use the telephone, Mr. Kramer. I wasn't going to. Well, you were reaching for it. I suppose you're going to call the police and tell them that you have a crazy man here. Well, I... It wouldn't do any good. Because, you see, if the police were to come in here, I'd just disappear. You'd look very foolish. I see. I see you don't believe me, Mr. Kramer. <laughs> uh, well, I... Let me show you. I'll disappear. Ah. Uh. You see? You know what? You did disappear. Yes, of course. I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> you mean you didn't? Well, I'd like to have you start at once, Mr. Kramer. I want to know who murdered... I thought I heard you talking. 
Why, there's nobody here. I... I was talking to myself, Mrs. Radabaugh. Oh, I must say, shooting pistols, talking to yourself. Where'd this money come from? What money? Hundred dollar bills. One, two, three, itch. What? What? You got sticky red paint or something all over. Well, it wasn't red paint. But it was real money. From a man who disappeared. Well, I said a private detective's life wasn't exciting. It looks as if it's going to be now. But I I don't know how I'm going to find out who murdered a man who doesn't know who he is, nor, nor when or where he was murdered. Do you? I don't even know where to start. I've been sitting here since three o'clock this morning. I say to myself, did that man come in here, or did I dream it? And then I see the $300 bills on the desk in front of me, and they're real enough. So I didn't dream it. Yes? Mr. Kramer. Yes? You didn't dream it. What? I said that. Yes, I heard you. Oh? Perhaps I'd better come and talk to you some more. Uh, well... Yes, I think I'd better. I'll be right there. Uh, well, but... Uh... I'll be right there. This is... Who is... Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Yes, I think we'd better talk some more. But look here. You were just talking to me on the phone. Uh, where were you... What difference does that make? I don't really mean to haunt you, Mr. Kramer, but I I am very anxious, you understand. No doubt. I remembered something. Oh? Yes. I remembered where I was murdered. Look, I mean... Mr. Kramer, you, you seem to think that I'm trying to deceive you or something. Well, no, but... Well, really, I've never talked to a a ghost before. Really? There there must be some rational explanation of this, Mr. uh, uh, Mr. I gave you my explanation, sir. You're not afraid by any chance. I don't frighten you, I hope. No. I I don't think I'm afraid, really. But... Well, I, I, I'm just not used to this sort of thing. Oh, you you will be before we get done. I was going to tell you where I was murdered. Perhaps that'll help. All right. Where? It was near Lindale, Utah. Lindale, Utah? Yeah, that's on the Union Pacific. I think I've been through there. Oh, have you? Isn't that near where the branch line to Bryce Canyon turns off the main line? Yeah, I believe it is. You, you think that'll be of any help? You never know. You don't remember when, I suppose. No, I may remember later. Uh, really, meeting you is, has been very stimulating. I feel that you are going to be successful, Mr. Kramer. Uh, I've tried so many years to find him. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, now, let me see. Uh, we we might place the time of your uh, uh, your 
Murder. My death. Yes, sir. How old would you be? Really, I haven't the slightest idea. Well, uh, I suppose I can wire the authorities at Lindale and ask them about any unsolved murders they have a record of. That's a fine idea. Uh, We may solve this problem of yours a good deal more quickly than I hoped. Good. Good. Oh, the money I left... It was a little uh, messy. I'm so sorry about that, but... All my money is like that. That is, as long as I have it. It dries, though. Oh, yes. Yes. If you need more... Later. Good. Whenever you want it, ask for it. You'll excuse me, I know. But where does this money come from? I don't know. I seem to have a great deal of it. It's no use to me, of course, so... You'll find the man who murdered me, and you can have it all. Thanks. What are we going to do with this man uh, when we find him, though? Uh, The evidence of a ghost uh, in court. Yes, I thought of that. I couldn't very well testify, could I? (laughs) Even if I am the most interested party. So what? Well, I I thought that perhaps you might take care of that, Mr. Kramer. Just how do you propose I take? care of Mr. Kramer, I know more about you than you might think I do. Oh, do you? I know, for example, that you're quite unscrupulous. So? Yes, sir. Quite. Well, what then? You'll be getting a very large fee, Mr. Kramer. And for that fee, I thought perhaps you might undertake the uh, job of executioner. You did. The man will be guilty, you know. You'll only be carrying out a just sentence on him. Committing murder myself. Oh, no. Nobody ever called a hangman a murderer. No, thanks. I'm sure you'll change your mind, Mr. Kramer. I doubt it. I told you... I know you a great deal better than you think. And there's a large sum of money involved. How large? You name it. In advance? Whatever you say. A million dollars. All right. You sure that'll be enough? I don't like being kidded, Mr. Ghost. My dear sir... All right. If I see a million dollars in currency on this desk tomorrow morning, you bought yourself an executioner. Aye. Provided I can find the man. Oh, you'll find him, Mr. Kramer. And then you'll execute him. Well, I... Just, uh, just one thing, Mr. Kramer. Yes, I think you ought to swear. All right. I swear. I take that very seriously, Mr. Kramer. I shall see that you carry out your part. I looked up when he said that. And there wasn't anybody there. 
I don't know what you think of me. I don't know whether you think I'm crazy or what. Talking to a ghost. You expect people to scream and run and be afraid of ghosts. That's the natural reaction, the, the one you're conditioned to by ghost stories and all that sort of thing. But you must understand that that's the, the natural reaction only when the ghost suddenly appears to you and waves its arms and you happen to be in some lonely, deserted spot at midnight. But when a man walks into your office and uh, sits and talks to you for a while and then casually tells you he's a ghost and then proves it to you, well... You see? You're not frightened? Well, I was wondering a little, too, what you thought about my agreeing to be an executioner. Well, take it or leave it, friend. What would you do? See what I mean? I never made any boast of being an angel. I've been a pretty rough character in the old days, bumming around the country... And just between us, friend, this murder won't be the first one that I've... Uh... Well, let's leave it there. And you know, I'm... I'm not so sure that I will knock the gentleman off. As the bad boys say. I'll have the million dollars, won't I? I take that very seriously, Mr. Kramer. I shall see that you carry out your part. I wired Lindell, Utah, about unsolved murders. The telephone woke me up next morning early. Hello? Mr. Kramer, this is Mrs. Radbaugh. There's a telegram here for you to collect. Shall I pay for it? Where is it from? How do I know? Well, pay for it and read it to me. All right. Here, boy. Just a minute till I tear it open. It's from Lindale, Utah. Well, read it. Hold your horses. It says, no unsolved murders here. What's that mean? Never mind. Goodbye. Now, look here. How do you like that? Shut up, Radabow. Look, Radabow, I'm not going to answer it, so... Now what? You didn't answer the phone, so I came over. What? Oh, you. You had an answer from Utah. It said there wasn't any unsolved murder there, my friend. Yes, I know. What about that? You should have let Mrs. Radabow read you the rest of the telegram. What? There was more to it. There was? Perhaps you'd better call Mrs. Radabaugh back. I will. Come on, answer the phone. Ah, where is that woman? Do you know what the rest of the message was? Where'd you go? Radabow. Answer that phone. Oh, that woman.
Mrs. Radabaugh was not in the office when I got there. Someday I shall fire that woman out of hand if she keeps up these high-handed tactics. And what does she do with that telegram? I looked all over the place. It wasn't on my desk, it wasn't in the wastebasket, it wasn't on the floor. If that woman took it with her... You know, one of the worst things about me is an absolutely ungovernable temper. I haven't had an outburst of real red flaming rage for years. It's a good thing I haven't. I could feel it coming on now, though. I could get my hands on her. I ripped through her desk. <laughs> compact. What did that old hag want with a compact? I threw it against the wall. Candy bars. Carbon paper. What did she do with that telegram? I went back into my office. When I went out of that office, my desk was clear. There wasn't a thing on it but a blotter and my desk stand with the two pens. Now, it was littered with stacks of money. Stacks of money. Did you ever see a million dollars? Well, you're likely to use your mind if you ever do. I nearly did. Twenties, fifties, hundred-dollar bills, stacks and stacks and stacks. And I couldn't help it. I picked it up and loved it. I got up to my elbows in money. I just wanted to feel it. <laughs> a million dollars. I was chuckling and giggling to myself. I'd forgotten all about the telegram. And I heard a voice. How untidy, Mr. Kramer. I jumped back and dropped money all over the place. Your hands. I'm sorry, I... You've got blood all over them. I'm sorry. I was excited. I'll wash it off. No. Wait. What? I brought you the telegram. Oh, the telegram. Didn't you say you'd been in Lindell? Oh, yes. I've been through there several times. I thought you did. Why did you ask that? I was wondering if perhaps you might not have heard about my death, or, uh... Or what? Oh, nothing. Uh, I'm sorry, but we have to explore every angle, don't we? I fully intend to, sir. Good. Good. There's a million dollars there. That's wonderful. Just remember, you haven't earned it yet. I'll earn it, never fear. Yes, I shall see that you do. What about the telegram? Oh, I'm sorry. Here. Thanks. I was anxious to see what the... Only unsolved mystery here. Several years ago, unidentified hobo killed by train. Well, that couldn't be you. Yes, it could. It says killed by train. No, I was murdered. Well... I was a hobo. Well, so was I once, but... But what? I didn't get murdered. No, I did. And you think this man is you? I know it is. I don't know how we're going to prove that. I'll tell you. Well? When I recognize the man, that'll be proof, won't it? But you said you didn't know who did it. I'll know. When you find him. Now, look. 
This leads us right where we started. No, not exactly. I'm afraid it does. I'm going to find the man who murdered me, or rather you are, Mr. Kramer. I don't know where to start. Think, Mr. Kramer. Please think. I just think it's impossible. I don't. Suggest something, then. You're the detective. Go to Lindo? Would you want to go to Lindo? Why not? Well... Why not? There's a line of poetry I could quote to you. Never send to know... Never mind poetry. Well, then we don't need to go back to Lindell, do we? You take your money and get out of here. Oh. You hear me? You'd have forgotten all about it, hadn't you? I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. But you didn't even think of it when I told you the place. Well, I didn't know. You just forgot. Well, you know the murderer now? It wasn't murder. It was an accident. Well, the man died. I mean, I died. Well, that doesn't make it murder. In my book, it does, Mr. Kramer. Well, I, I didn't mean to... Meaning hasn't got anything to do with it. We were just arguing in the freight car. I remember very well now. Yeah, just talking. And we drank that bottle. I remember. Uh, the, the train was going slow. Just crawling along. And we got to arguing again. About Herbert Hoover. I didn't even know your name. I knew yours. I'd forgotten it, but I... And then we started to fight. That insane temper of yours, Mr. Kramer. And you hit me. I remember. Then I got up. Yes. All I did was push you out of the car. How was I to know what happened? I fell under the wheel. Anybody could fall out of a car going that slow and not get hurt at all. I died. But I tell you, I didn't mean to. I didn't even know. I'm sorry, Kramer. What are you going to do about it? I'm not going to do anything. I'm a ghost. Well, then. You've got a job to perform, though, Mr. Kramer. I won't do it. Oh, yes, you will. I won't. Yes, you will, Mr. Kramer. Sooner or later, because I'll be with you, Mr. Kramer, wherever you go, until you do. Every second I'll be with you, and you'll do anything to escape me. But there's only one way, Mr. Kramer. Only one way. Well, that poetry I started to recite to you. Never send to know. I know. Never send to know. For whom the bell tolls. It, it tolls for thee. Yes, you're a little too eager, Kramer. Now the pistol's in the drawer there. You have listened to Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper. Kramer, the man who spoke to you, was Ernest Chappell. And Nancy Sheridan played Mrs. Radabaugh. Edgar Staley was the other man. The original music for Quiet, Please is composed and played by Albert Berman. Now, for a word about next week's Quiet, Please, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. My story for you next week is a true ghost story about colonial days in America, one that really happened. Shall we call it Meeting at Ticonderoga? And so, until next week, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Quiet Please comes to you from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You have been listening to 
Dime Store Radio Theaters Halloween Spooktacular 2023 <laughs> on Shinless Jungle Room. Brought to you by Mid Valley Mutations. We hope to see you again next week. But until then, be seeing you. <laughs>